Welcome to episode 17 of the Punch Drunk Podcast. This is Patrick J. Uh, here in Pittsburgh, along with Andy G. in Minneapolis. Uh, we're going to cover a bunch of topics today before the Wolves start the preseason tonight against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the new Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, a little bit about the, the new look Cavaliers, or maybe the old look Miami Heat, uh, depending on how you think about it. Uh, some Timberwolves stuff and uh, more around the league stuff. Uh, discussion of the the memory lane of, of, of tanking and the NBA's new tanking reform, and maybe a little bit of discussion about Andrew Wiggins. So, um, so Andy, what do you think of the the new vaunted trio in Oklahoma City? How are they going to fit together? Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, along with incumbent Russell Westbrook. Uh, enough basketballs for everyone. Well, before we say anything critical about how they may or may not fit together or any concerns, it's probably worth just starting with the obvious, which is that it was an unbelievable offseason for the Thunder. It certainly appeared that they were on the verge of um, collapse as far as being a relevant team that tries to win a lot. Um, I, I certainly thought Paul George was going to be leaving after this offseason just because of all the rumors of the Lakers tampering and him expressing his intention to go to the Lakers. And he still might, but once you get a, a player of Carmelo's caliber to join and Russell Westbrook to lock himself in for another five additional years for $200 million, I, I think that's a lot to leave uh, for Paul George to go to a team that won't be as good as that. So it's, it, it's unbelievable that Sam Presti was able to transform that situation from what it was, which was a, a, a team on the way toward rebuilding to what it is now, and that's a team that's going to try to win championships for the next uh, you know, handful of seasons. With that said, um, I, as much as everybody wants to talk about Carmelo and Carmelo's style of play and how Carmelo's going to have to change, to me it's way, way more to do with Russell Westbrook and, and what he's going to have to change because this is um, th we're back now to Russ playing with Durant only now he's playing with Melo and Paul George which is two bodies instead of one body uh, and, and this is a test of Russell Westbrook can he be the type of player who uses his insane abilities to facilitate what could be one of the best two or three offenses in the NBA, or are there going to be chemistry questions? Because his style of play last year isn't going to fly when he's playing with two other guys like that. What do you, what do you expect or what are you thinking? So, yeah. So I think it's a big question. So I, I don't know exactly what I expect because I could see it, I think going pretty far in one direction or the other. One is that he could, uh, you know, show that last season was just what it was, which was, a statement season, I think, for him to show that he could average a triple-double. That's that's humanly possible, and that Russell Westbrook, on his own, you know, was, was going to do what Russell Westbrook could, could do, and it was amazing, but it, it, you're right. I mean, I, and I think if anyone would think that he could keep sort of not just that motor and, and uh, behavior and everything, um, you know, keep that up, uh, it wouldn't be, a, it'd be really ill-advised. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty ill-advised at certain times last season, despite, you know, the, um, just like sheer force of nature, Russell Westbrook probably, you know, contributing certainly to some of their wins. 
also some of their losses, huge numbers of turnovers. And did you think he deserved but, MVP? Uh, was, we we had this conversation. I think the last time we had a podcast, which oh, was a we? long time ago, and yeah. I said no. I said no at the time, and I I said, you know, kind kind of um, half tongue in cheek that I would give the MVP to, to LeBron James, which I would just say every year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his year last year wasn't. Well, I mean, hell, he near averaged a triple double himself, made it to the finals. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I think he. I don't know. He and James Harden were both great last year. I mean, I don't think that either really it was necessarily like like the kind of MVP that you know we're used to seeing win championships, and that's usually the like extreme alpha dog on a really good team, unless you go back you know, to some years where they've given someone else a consolation MVP because we've seen to the end, like, you know, a guy winning it uh, year after year after year isn't that much fun. So like, so yeah, some, was, some of maybe the, like a, at least one of the Steve Nash MVPs was yeah. probably falls into that category. I won't, like, I don't think we should go into the details, but um, yeah. So, I mean, the question is how much he can or will change. Right. And I, I mean, it seemed like he was moving in this direction to where he, he just took it to like, it's, it's, it, it, it's max last year. I think it was peak Westbrook, and and um, but I don't know whether he can or will retreat that far from that. I mean, I think he's he's seems like he plays a certain way now, uh, and I'm sure he'll share the ball some. But I, I don't see Paul George getting lots of lots of looks. I'll, I'll, say, I'll put it that way, unless he is starting with the ball from the top. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a lot of looks. I think Russell kick. Uh, to mellow a lot. We'll see a lot of mellow Olympic style, Olympic basketball style, you know, Team USA style threes, and he'll be really good at that. George, I don't think of as, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me as, a, as like a spot up shooter who's going to be the kind of guy who, who you know, he can do everything else and make, yeah. shoot well. I think they might. George yeah. is the weird 15. That was, you know, that's where I was leading you when I was asking a bit of a leading question to start the conversation, but. Uh, yeah, I can imagine him being sort of a Kawhi Leonard kind of guy who can you know, stand and shoot corner threes or mid-range threes, or sorry, mid-range shots uh, off of, of openings and you know, get in the seams and be ex- you know, extremely disruptive on defense. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they're going to be a really good team. It doesn't really matter. But, what, you know, how far Westbrook can revert to being you know, more of a, a pass-first player i think is uh, yeah I, I don't know how far he's gonna go or should go billy do you think he can be coached back to some appropriate place and what do you think that billy donovan's thinking about this yeah i mean i definitely think the um i actually worry more a little bit about uh paul george and westbrook than i do about Mello and westbrook for the simple fact that Mello is an outstanding catch and shoot guy like and he might even that that might even be his best default position right now, whereas clearly Paul George is best when he's more actively involved. Um, and I don't know to the extent Westbrook can play off the ball. I don't know, you know, that might be diminishing your returns or you know less than the sum of the parts to a pretty significant extent. So you might have some pretty diminished returns between the the George and Westbrook chemistry, but. I I like the idea of Paul George and Steven Adams both being on the same defense, length, mobility, some of the things that Oklahoma City was able to throw at Golden State when they had Durant in the Paul George slot. You know, if you can get if you can sort of get Paul George to play defense at that high octane level he used to, 
he's one of the best in the whole NBA, and, and I think that's interesting. I don't think they're as good as Golden State. I mean, I, I, that's like the most – that's the easiest thing to say ever, but I, I don't think they're on the level of being a realistic competitor for Golden State unless something changes in Golden State, like an injury. But it, it, they're going to they're gonna be good, and it, it certainly makes the season more interesting to have another super team in the West. Um, how about- I think there, I think there have been some forecasts, and I think they at least uh, I might be wrong about this. I'll have to look it up after we get done. But that have uh, that have put the wall and projected the wolves as having more wins this season than Oklahoma City. Was that before the mellow trade? I need to go back and, and see. I think there have been some. I think there have been at least one or two that um, that came out after that and still had the Wolves, you know, as like winning maybe one, you know, it's close, but maybe like one game more yeah. than the Thunder. And obviously there's a margin of error there. So maybe it's a toss up, but I mean, I think the one thing that we're kind of, the way that we're discussing this uh, is sort of um, implicitly suggesting that the Wolves aren't even in the same ballpark as, as Oklahoma City now that they're sort of like, Maybe in a clear second tier, maybe by themselves um, after after Golden State now in the West. But yeah. it, you know, so, so it's interesting with like the quantitative forecast that that may not be the case. Uh, and I wonder what you think about team, you know, very, super different teams. I mean, we could talk all day about the Wolves, but other other teams like San Antonio. You know, should we even really be blowing up just because they've got the star power now? You know, with some of the question marks that. We have with like you know the, the Paul George, uh, Westbrook stuff. Yeah. You know, are, are are the Thunder going to be like clearly the second best team in the West? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to bring the Wolves into it, the only thing I would say is there's a difference between the Wolves players and coaches and actual participants getting ahead of themselves and the fans getting ahead of themselves, because there's no harm in us getting ahead of ourselves because we don't have to like do the day-to-day work and keep our eyes on the, the important things. I mean, the Wolves have a really, really good roster now, so they might be as good as the Thunder. I don't know. I mean, if the chemistry works out between Teague and Wiggins and Butler and uh, and Carl Towns, I, I think the Wolves could have one of the better offenses in the NBA. And then the question from there is how much defensive improvement did Wiggins and Cat making the offseason, along with how much of a boost do Butler and Taj Gibson bring them. But I, I don't know. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how that stuff filters out in the Western Conference after the Warriors. I mean, I think the Warriors will probably win 64 to 74 games on a pretty casual effort level. Um, and then from there, you know, San Antonio won 60 plus last year, but. Kawhi Leonard's apparently dinged up, and, you know, you never know what will happen. I wanted to talk about Cleveland, though, before we get off of the super team stuff, just because they added Dwayne Wade. ESPN doesn't even have their depth chart updated to reflect that, but they're an interesting team. Obviously, they always are because they have LeBron James. Um, But it's kind of becoming a weird mix of guys because you have Derrick Rose and D. Wade, potentially sharing the floor with LeBron James. I don't know if that will ever actually happen, but that doesn't really work in today's NBA, right? I mean, having all that slashing with no shooting, that's kind of like last year's Chicago Bulls with Rondo, Wade, and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it is. And um, that doesn't really seem like a recipe for uh, 
um, what you expect to be successful now. But you know, I, I, I guess the thing that I'm interested in seeing is uh, like, with, for I mean, particularly from a wolf's perspective, is uh, whether the sort of you know the, the Thibodeau is you know, going to party like it's 2010 uh, meme. Because, you know, whether that's, you know, to the extent that it's true and the, they don't really adapt. And I don't see that necessarily like some other people are, are saying, you know, we're going to be stuck in sort of this vortex of a Tibbs kind of team that may or may not be, like, really optimized for the NBA in 2017, 20, going to 2018. Uh, I'm interested to see how that kind of system to the, you know, to the extent that Tibbs really knows as much uh, and, you know, is this detail-oriented uh, and understands the game as well as it seems like he does, and as well as he's given credit for by people I think who don't need to give him credit, how well he can make that system work with a really good roster. I mean, that's going to be interesting to me beyond just you know being a, a fan of the Timberwolves, but from like a a, a basketball uh, kind of experiment perspective. And I think that, uh, I mean, the, the, that's why the Spurs, I think, are still interesting, why they were so interesting when they, uh, zagged, you know, and when the league was zigging, getting Lamarcus Aldridge, right, and can, you know, talk about whether or not that's really been an effective yeah. move by them, but kind of going going big when everyone was going small and stuff like that. And I think that the Wolves, you know, were consistently. I looked this up again um, when I was putting together stuff for the the post that I did earlier this week for a Wolf Among Wolves, but I looked up what the the kind of new Wolves uh, would average for three-point shots attempted uh, based on their, their statistics last year. And again, we, you know, we would be uh, looking at kind of the core group of guys, uh, or at least the starting core, um, in the lower you know, third to, to really probably at bottom three or four teams in number of threes attempted if, if players shoot the same number as last year, right? Jeff Teague doesn't shoot a lot. He's pretty good for mid-range. Um, we're not, you know, obviously, when the Jimmy Butler trade happened, the loss of Levine was seen largely as like the loss of our three point capabilities. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I, yeah, I wonder whether a team that's still going to, to be down there and not taking many threes will either start taking more, uh, because they'll have, uh, you know, overall just better spacing, better, better players, or whether they'll find ways to win that show that what we can be in the bottom 25% or the lower of the league in threes attempted and win games other ways. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to watch. I I don't really worry about their offense too much just because of how well they did last year and the fact that they added Butler, but it'll be interesting to see if, like, just as, like, a concrete, tangible example, Will Wiggins start spotting up and intelligent places around the three line when Jimmy Butler collapses the defense, like that kind of thing, or is it, is that chemistry going to happen or is it not going to happen? Because Wiggins has now, now has the opportunity to, to get easy shots and he might thrive with that and he might not. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be, it'll definitely be um, a really interesting season here. Speaking of, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, do you have more thoughts on the Wolves? Otherwise, I was going to... I was just going to ask one more thing out of curiosity, but what your take on, on Butler's effect is, mostly on offense, uh, what, what it'll be, and that's um, who you think will benefit the most or the least sort of from his style. I mean, we've both seen him play a lot for Chicago. I don't think that... I mean, we saw him play under Tibbs. I don't think we're going to see 
a ton. I mean, it'll be different with Cat clearly being a, like a better big than he's ever played with. I think before this offensively, but who benefits the most? Who maybe loses? I think Rig is a wild card, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it just a straightforward um, kind of Carl, Carl, Carl Towns will benefit maybe more from getting uh, open looks when the defense is attracted to Butler? Do you think it's actually maybe Teague who can leak into open areas? Maybe as uh, a savvy veteran more than Wiggins can, even if it doesn't translate into threes. I think I think Shabazz actually could. You know, he sneaks into seams so well that if he ends up playing some minutes with Butler, we'll get some easy baskets that he used to get from guys like Ricky Rubio uh, off of you know, Ricky's unicorn dribble drives and stuff. Yeah. As far as who who benefits the most individually from from Jimmy Butler's thing, that's definitely remains to be seen. Butler averaged twenty four points a game last year, averaged nine free throws a game. Wiggins averaged what twenty three plus a game last year. Towns averaged twenty five a game. I mean, they're they're all collectively going to have to go down. Um, but I think Wiggins would have the potential to benefit the most offensively if he can like I was just saying, like learn how to be a spot up shooter to mix into his other stuff because spot up shooting is just so much easier physically on in terms of energy expenditure and things like that. There's a reason Clay Thompson can be such a good quote unquote two way wing and one of the reasons is that he doesn't have to, <laughs> he doesn't have to initiate so much. I mean it's it it's hard work to move around off screens and get open but you know, it's not the same as being the guy who collapses the defense. Like Jimmy Butler, in an yeah. ideal distribution of uh, tap. Jim, 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 Jimmy Jimmy Butler's running a lot harder each night. Yeah, and t- taking a lot more contact than Clay Thompson. Does, right, and without Wiggins, a doubt. And Wiggins knows that too, because he's been the guy who slashes in the lane and gets beat up, and you know, has to go one on one. That those are the things where it, it's yeah. hard to play both ends of the court that hard. And if Wiggins can find easier ways to score. It just naturally follows that he'll have more energy on defense. So, I can't think of a, maybe a bigger disparity though between the way, like the efficiency with which Clay Thompson uses screens. I mean, just in terms of his own body energy, not to mention how much better he is at it than Wiggins, who, you know, if he's not running kind of the the ball off of like the you know the top or the the right wing usually. You know, it's it's uh, you know he's not moving without the ball a lot. I mean, he's not quite uh, you know as set in place as Antoine Walker used to be. You know, in like the full uh, <clears throat> Jordan free throw, you know, uh, palms pressed against his um, his kneecaps kind of set, but he's yeah. not moving very very much. And I don't see that changing a lot this year. I mean, they like maybe if they run plays right where it's designed, he'll he'll know what to do. But I don't think he'll efficiently be moving off of the ball at all. And so I don't know if it's, a, I mean, I'm not saying like you were making that is like, this is where it should go, but I'm not sure that he's even capable of benefiting kind of like, you know, even if he would shoot that Thompson is of doing that kind of long, like, uh, you know, utilization of, of yeah. offensive energy at this point. I mean, Baz is a new thing. He does it in different ways and they don't lead to as many baskets, but they do lead to some easy baskets. So I think Wiggins has to get better at that stuff. I mean, I hope that's what he, you know, those are some of the things he's picking up because well, it's not think... usually what guys work on in the offseason, right? They're trying to like yeah. improve core skills, whatever the yeah, that has to be. I don't think Wiggins is quite, uh, I don't think he's a good enough shooter for it to be quite so important that he like fine tune his 
screen using. I mean, the the way that he uses screens, and this is easy to observe for me because where the press sits is right behind that left block where he's often kind of jostling with his man with the down screen on the way. So you can watch those wrestling matches. And the reason that that's something that sticks in my memory is because that's the specific place where that Ricky Rubio LU play always developed. Because he learned that when his man, when they shade high on that down screen, and they call it a pin down in the NBA, but when they shade high on that and cheat, he and Ricky would lock eyes and he would fake to go up and then cut back an alley-oop dunk. And, uh, but for him, I think the screen is just to get the ball with a little bit of room to begin his drive. He's not a good enough shooter to where like, he's going to just fly off a screen and catch it and fire like JJ Redick or Clay Thompson or Kyle Korver. Like those are pretty special shooters. And obviously Thompson's a special player because of that skill. But, um, I just think he could spot up, like with Jimmy Butler doing the hard work. You know, I don't yeah. know, like just yeah, think, not, not even cutting, just knowing where to be, and just being there and shooting it. And one thing, well, yeah, I mean, another thing, one thing he does do fairly well because it's been another staple of his game is to kind of rub off the defender down low to get the ball, not exactly like just the traditional post up where you back your man down one on one. Uh, and walking back, and then eventually, and like you know, post up on the block and take a, a pass. But you know, he'll he'll take you know, a, a screen from the big on one side of the block, and then go around a little bit, and then kind of like half post up, half. He's not really facing the basket, but um, that way he can either shoot like a jump hook or or go to a fadeaway or do you know, do whatever he wants. It's a, actually it's a it's a pretty nice look, but I wonder whether if he would. Um, go you know, so he's he's always like kind of fighting through trying to get that position typically at least last year he was and I wonder whether um, I don't, again I don't see this being Jimmy Butler initiated necessarily but just for Wiggins you know, getting kind of a you know a smart piece of this offense uh, with the personnel that they've got assembled whether you know him coming off of the screens but popping up to to get a fairly inefficient shot but when he's really pretty good at it. I think when he's especially in rhythm coming off the screen fading away just a little bit is like the same kind of uh, rub off the screen but uh, like darting right to, to the elbow of the free throw line essentially yeah. to, to shoot that shot which he's, he's pretty much money at and I think that they could get a bunch of easy buckets you know when defenses are preoccupied with Towns and uh, and Butler maybe on the same side of the court yeah like him him and Taj or Gorgie working that other side yeah no it'll be that's the the Butler and Wiggins chemistry is definitely uh, a huge thing to watch. Speaking of things to watch, uh, the Wolves have a game tonight, and I've been reliably informed on Twitter um, that it is on FSN Plus for people in Minnesota, the state of Minnesota that have that on their cable package, or NBA TV. I think is what it's primarily supposed to be on. So I think just about anybody with a television and some form of cable uh, should be able to watch the game. They play the Lakers. I, the game is in Anaheim, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what? That's uh, that's 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 Orange County, baby. Yeah, there you go. Um, this is a. It'll be a later game. It's at nine o'clock. Preseason, you know, caveats, qualifiers. Um, get all those out of the way. It doesn't mean that much, but what kind of a, what kind of stuff are you going to be trying to look for in this game? 
Mm. Whether whether Tom Thibodeau plays the starters for less than 38 minutes tonight. Yeah, okay. You think he's going to start burning them right away? (laughs) I think he might not be able to control the impulse. Remember last year's preseason? Because I do. The the Wolves had two games at Target Center, um, and they had had a bunch of those, like, barely televised games before that, the ones that you get the, like, super dirty stream online, and you're watching, like, from, like, a a rooftop camera (laughs) that no one knew existed or something. But they had a couple of Target Center preseason games. Um, One of them was against Memphis. I can't remember the other one. But they were just kicking ass. I mean, they won by, like, they were up by 40, I think, against Memphis. And then they played someone else and won by a lot. It might have been Memphis again. No, it wouldn't have been Memphis twice. I don't know who the other game was. But it was hard not to think, okay, Tibbs is here. Now we're going to be good. And then they start, and then right after that, they had the regular season opener at Memphis, and they were up by like eighteen to two. And it's like, yeah, this is exactly what we just saw. The Wolves are going to just like dominate this year. And then they lost that game, and obviously they only won thirty-one games. But it's easy to get overhyped about preseason results. They really don't mean anything. I mean, but that's again, if they play really well, it's going to be hard to tell yourself that you're going to. It's, it's, yeah. it's inevitably going to feel like it means something. I think you've got to look. Yeah, I think you've got to keep the proper perspective. And then, if you want to actually like think that you've you know, got an inf- like more information than you did before about how good you know, the team will actually be or how good it is, you've got to actually watch the game super closely and then like think hard about what the context is that you're watching. And like that context can change. And he often does, right? I mean, a lot more than it does, like, in a regular season game where everyone's competing, like, you know, like they would regularly. Or certainly a playoff game when there's a huge incentive to win. So in a preseason game like this, I think it's sort of, like, right out of the gate. You want to see how well they they are able to, to you know, open a game, starters against starters. Um, you know, if they look – I mean, one of the things that stands out is obviously, like, if the team – looks really if a team looks really dominant like you know several straight games and then they take the starters out or something i mean it reminds me of the way that uh, you could really tell when uh, that the what it was it 97 gophers basketball team was just going to be way way better than we thought they were going to be was the way that they came out and just killed teams in the preseason uh, just destroyed them yeah and that was that was sort of like yeah, it makes it really easy to see like at least there's a potential for this team to be really good. I mean, then you wonder what, well, you know, can they sustain it last year? They had all kinds of second half issues, but yeah, I, I don't think that, um, you know, just looking at the, either the box score or the, you know, who wins it or even how close it is really tells us a lot about the Wolves, but it's just fun that we finally got a game to watch. Yeah. I'm interested to see who is initiating the offense uh, in this, within the starting unit. I mean, I imagine Jeff Teague dribbling the ball up the floor as the ostensible point guard. Um, and he'll certainly play pick and roll or whatever, but you know, what, what how much what's, does, what? how much is Jimmy Butler going to just say, give me the ball and, you know, create plays. And Yeah. It was the way that I was going to put that is what's the over under on like the number of either dribbles or feet that he gets past half court before he passes it left to Butler to start yeah. the offense and yeah. then goes and sets a screen on the opposite wing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's like the set that I expect to see um, just driven 
mm-hmm. like a lot, especially in the preseason when they don't have you know, probably their full um, suite of, of you know, plays and that they'll they'll use and they want to work on. Maybe we'll see it later, but you know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm you know, like often pleasantly surprised by Tom Thibodeau's creativity, I guess, in certain situations. So while a lot of it seems kind of predictable, or we can imagine like an like a in social science, we we call it like an ideal type, almost like theory of what Tibbs basketball is. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, here we're in a totally different situation than I think he's been, even when he started with the Bulls, uh, certainly than it was last year, especially with the Timberwolves. So, you know, I don't know. I think that this will be probably the most interesting preseason that we've had um, because we, you know, we're trying so hard to read tea leaves right now. Um. What about this Lakers team itself? Uh, traditionally, a, a thorn in the Timberwolves' side to the extent the Wolves have ever had aspirations for a championship. The Lakers were the team standing in their way. I mean, there was only one year that they met in a late stage, the Western Finals in 2004. But you know, a year before that, I believe was the first round of the playoffs when the Wolves thought they had a, a, a good team and they got handled by the Lakers and Shaq and Kobe and all that, but the Lakers are trying to rebuild. Um, there's It's poorly kept secret that they're planning to be aggressive next year in free agency, but how about the guys they have now? Alonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram are, are the, the recent draft picks. D'Angelo Russell was traded away to clear a bad contract and add Brooke Lopez, but what, what do you make of this Lakers team? Uh, they're definitely exciting and interesting. Uh, they remind me in some ways of the Timberwolves from last year, just with so much youth mm-hmm. and pot and potential. I mean, uh, people were last year were really excited about the, um, you know, the, the Wiggins towns. And then uh, once the season started, especially the, the Wolves before the season, to their credit, were hyping Zach Levine as part of that big three. And he played, you know, he earned it, I think, at least offensively last year. It's being in the same mention as, as Wiggins and Towns. The Lakers mm-hmm. now, I mean, have you know, regained the, the hype, I think, um, like whatever, hype machine uh, from the L.A. media and the national media from the Clippers with Lonzo Ball, LeVar Ball, and Magic Johnson. <laughs> and then, look, Brandon Ingram, yeah. after being being a, uh, like one of the signs, really, you know, a very um, high draft pick who, wasn't really discussed a lot last year while people were focused mainly on Joel um, hashtag process Embiid. Um, Lonzo Ball has so much hype that I, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's really good at basketball, but Magic Johnson, the, the Lakers, uh, what's his formal, formal title president, I assume, or something like that. Yeah, I think um, he's the president of basketball. Polinka's probably general manager. I'm. Uh, I don't know well, that. I'm just assuming that's the the title. But yeah, Lakers shot caller had Magic Johnson compared Lonzo Ball and and Brandon Ingram to him and James Worthy during peak yeah. 1980s Lakers showtime. And I don't know whether um, whether that's even fair at this point. I mean, you love the guy's uh, enthusiasm and salesmanship, and that's. It is what it is. I, I, I think that there are fun players on our team and important ones that um, aren't really getting talked about, sort of like last year, Ricky Rubio, who is now on the team this year, didn't get talked about as part of that mm-hmm. core. And um, guys, I mean, Julie, Julius Randle is not you know, going to be an all-star, but he's 
got the potential to be a really interesting, good power forward. He's, um, <laughs> he's fun to watch. And Brooke Lopez, huge score, you know, questionable defender, but it's a new player. They got in a D'Angelo Russell deal this year. And so I think the Lakers uh, are behind where the Timberwolves are since um, Towns is maturing and Jimmy Butler is yeah. in the house. But um, but they're, they have the potential to be you know, extremely good for for quite a while if everything, you know, all the breaks actually go their way. Like uh, people seem to be quick to think that they, they might. They have a weird... Um mix of established veterans who are in or past their prime and super young undeveloped guys i would liken it to the timberwolves of like actually three years ago the group that flip put together <clears throat> that included levine and wiggins and also um kevin martin and uh ricky rubio and tayshaun prince and stuff um if you remember the plan, or am I mixing up seasons? There was a season there where the plan was to try to be decent, and that plan went by the wayside when Rubio got hurt after, like, game three. Yeah. And Flip went into just an absolute yeah. all-time historic tank job that ended up with Carl Towns, so it was a successful one. But the Lakers have, like, kind of... Uh, you could sort of piece together the, the makings of a decent team if you give heavy minutes to Contavious Caldwell Pope, all caps, uh, and Brooke Lopez with assuming Julius Randle keeps getting better and maybe Luol Deng has some type of bounce back here, at least to be a half-decent veteran, Corey Brewer, guys like that. Corey Brewer, energy guy off the bench. Yeah, like that isn't going to be a good team. They're not going to win, you know, 40 45 games, but if you, you know, Caldwell Pope and Brooke Lopez and a half decent version of Lou Aldang, Julius Randle, Corey Brewer, Alonzo Ball, you know, they could win like maybe what, 33 games if everything came together. Like, that's not horrible. I don't think they're gonna, though. I think they're gonna lean more on the young guys, right? I'm looking at the ultimate disc right now, which is a screenshot that I think I'll use when we post this up on the blog, which is the Lakers depth chart right now. Uh, as uh, ESPN.com, yeah. So yeah. what I, what I'm seeing that almost drew a, a, a literally laugh out loud moment was Brook Lopez as the starting center, and Andrew Bogut is the fourth string center yeah. behind Ivaka Zubak and Thomas Bryant. Is that and Lopez is um, that actually going to be the case though, or is I mean is is Bogut healthy? He never just he, just, just the just the visual of yeah. the depth chart suggesting that is. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, that's ESPN.com NBA depth chart. Is Bogut suffering because of the the, the degree to which Trump lost California? Is that? Ah, good question. I don't know where. Uh, I think they probably made this in Bristol, though, um, which I think went blue. So, uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> I don't think. I won't rule it out. I'm, okay. I'm uh, yeah. I'm going to use this screenshot. It's uh, because it also has the like, the cool thing I like about it, even though we should put a, like something Wolves related up on the uh, the site on Punchdown Wolves is the the header for this. I also like the the, the afterthoughts, not just Bogut as fourth string center on the the, the stank ass Lakers depth depth yeah. chart here, but Larry Nance Jr. is the backup power forward. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Corey Brewer is the third string. Uh, small forward, that's fine. But um, Ben 
uh, Tyler Ennis and Briante Weber, Weber as as yeah. the backup point guards. I think Jordan Clarkson might be the best player of all the the guards mentioned right now. Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope and Lonzo Ball. Yeah, and, he's, and he's, I, not, he's not even on the point guard depth chart. It's hard to like you're going to get wildly different um, opinions on things like this when you ask the the supposed the the so-called experts because who's decent and who's bad on a bad team can lead to some pretty reasonable disagreement <laughs> i think like um, you know everyone knows on a good team who the who the good guys are but on a bad team it's you can get into some pretty uh pretty aggressive arguments as opposed to like who's better you know jordan clarkson larry nance jr julius randall i'm sure i'm sure lakers nation has a lot to say about those topics and put on any of those guys on a, on a good team and you might get a wildly different uh, perception of that player, but. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think it's just that some of those disagreements are the, the ones that are the most fun to have because oh, yeah. there's, there's so little at stake and these guys are the ones who are like just clinging to a, a spot in the NBA on a bad team. <laughs> but oh. some of them have, have lots of individual uh, either uh you know, style or, or past uh, ability or something that that makes them interesting to look at is the, like, yeah, here here's how you staff the rest of your team after you build, start building it around Lonzo Ball yeah. and Brandon Ingram. And here's, let's not lose the whole podcast to this topic, but Wolves fans are obviously uniquely qualified to analyze players on bad teams because we've had so many of them in it's interesting to think about the history of like Wolves blog arguments because a lot of them centered around players like Al Jefferson, but mostly Kevin Love and then other guys who surrounded Kevin Love. And Kevin Love got himself to be viewed as like a top four or five player in the NBA, which seriously is like an LOL proposition at this point in time. Like, it's it's funny to look back and think that people thought that. And but you, you, used, you used to get shamed if you if you wouldn't acknowledge it, though. Oh yeah, but. And then on the flip side is the guys who were holding him back at times. I mean, granted, some of the guys definitely were holding him back. Some of those years were really bad. But And maybe this is a little bit more Al Jefferson-ish. But guys that were on those teams, some of them have gone on to have, like we were just talking about Randy Foy is still in the NBA. Like, he, he, Randy Foy's had a long career. He's set, definitely can play. I mean, he, you know. Yeah, he, he can make he can make open threes pretty much all night. Yeah, um, and that's true of some other guys too. I mean, the Wolves had, the the worst roster I think the Wolves ever had was the well, KG might have had worse supporting cast than this, but that that first year that Al Jefferson came to town without Kevin Love. Um, yeah, that was a bad team. Do you remember that one? Have you ever, have you ever gone back and and looked at that roster because? I always like to argue that Al Jefferson in his prime was underrated here. He was always he was criticized before it was reasonable to start criticizing him. I yeah. guess be how I would put it. But that 2007-2008 team, if you want to yeah. talk about a team that overachieved, uh, and it definitely wasn't had nothing to do with Randy Whitman's coaching. It had only to do with Al Jefferson being kind of a beast. But minutes played, number one, Al Jefferson. Number two, Ryan Gomes. Number three, Marco Yarich. Number four, Rashad McCants. Number five, Sebastian Telfair. 
Numbers. Wait, are you looking at? Are you are you in two thousand seven, two thousand eight? Yeah, in terms of minutes played, total season. Oh, okay, but, yeah, I'm looking at, at uh, per per game. It's uh, Jefferson, Foy, Telfair, Gomes, Yaritz. Yeah, it's a little different per game because Randy Foy was out half the year with a knee injury. But if you go total minutes, Gomes, Yarich, McCants, Telfair, Corey Brewer, Craig the Rhino Smith, Randy Foy, and then uh, last legs of his career, Antoine Walker. But Kirk Snyder was on that team. Did you mention him? And so was Joe yeah, Green. Yeah, but I mean, if you put Shut. if you put those that number two through eight. The Gomes, Yarick, McCanns, Telfair, Brewer, Smith, Foy for half the year. I mean, there aren't that many guys in the league that can carry that team to 22 wins. Anyway, we're getting way off topic, sorry. But I do think analyzing players on bad teams can be kind of uh, a fun exercise because the numbers are so misleading in some instances and the situations and circumstances are so important to consider as to who might be able to fit in on a good team that's yeah. trying to win. Who might lower a team's ceiling the way Kevin Love does, um, and who might uh, fit fit in with better players? But uh, I mean, the interesting the last the parting shot on this. I just have one thing to yeah. add to like bad team stuff. Looking at this roster in particular from the 2007-8 Timberwolves, is that so? I mean, again, the it meant just minutes played. These are the guys they had to put on the floor. From, for the season, Al Jefferson, Ryan Gomes, Marco Yarich, Rashad McCants, Sebastian Telfair, it's the five guys who played the most minutes, then Corey Brewer and, and Craig Durano-Smith, Randy Foy in, in um, half the season, Antoine Walker in about half the season. And so, I mean, like, so Al Jefferson has had a long, productive NBA career doing different, different roles, but... Uh, he could still go in and get you a bucket and a big moment today, probably, right, for Indiana. And the only other one who's stuck, really, I think, here, well, so Gerald Green is in the league doing what he does, score buckets. But After, uh, like, or, a six-year hiatus. Yeah, I mean, so he had to go tail and back to, to get to this position that he has right now as a role player doing what he does, which is different from what everyone else does in pool, but it's not really like an established path to, to sticking in the NBA. The only other NBA player on the team was Corey Brewer and he wasn't in the top five in minutes played for that terrible team. And yeah, so he, I mean, he, he has improved some since then, but what do you, I think that what differentiate differentiates him from the Telfair McCants Yarich, And at that point in his career, Gomes is like, he had upside to do one thing really, or a couple of things really well. I mean, the disrupt, like all catch disruption, but mostly like the defense and energy off the bench. I mean, that's something that's been at, you know, um, at a premium for a few years, and he managed to to use that. No one else had, you know, they, they, like a lot of those guys could beat Corey Brewer at one-on-one, I think, because Corey Brewer would have a hard time scoring in a gym by himself, let alone against another player, uh, unless he gets hot. But, uh, but yeah, the, I mean, the you know, there were just two NBA guys really in that core group of people who were playing every yeah. single night. Two Corey Brewer things that I'm going to wrap this part up with, and that's one, uh, Corey Brewer, after he left the Wolves in this ver- in this era, went to Dallas, and not nobody remembers this because it's just one small detail, but Dallas won the championship in 2011, and before anyone thought they were a realistic threat to actually win it, they were playing the Lakers in, I believe, the second round of the playoffs, might have been the first round, but I think it was the second round. 
this was like the very last part of Kobe and Pau Gasol being relevant because they won the championship the two years before that. Uh, but they were like, I think it was game one, and the Lakers were totally going to win. And Corey Brewer came in. Carlisle just, like, did his, like, spaz, empty the bench thing. And Corey Brewer came in just like a bat out of hell, you know, just absolute energy, loves the chance to play in a playoff game. I'm sure he'd never been in one before. And I think he had, like, eight or ten points in, like, a five-minute span. It was absolute just chaos Corey Brewer, like a wild three-pointers that somehow went in and, you know, maybe got two steals or something. The Lakers came back from something like, or the Mavs came back and beat the Lakers from like 20 down and ended up taking control of the series. But it looked like the Lakers were going to sort of assert themselves as like the better team, the home court advantage team. And maybe at least, at least it's a long series at that point. But Dallas coming back and winning that game behind Corey Brewer totally flipped the script on that. Dallas got an easy win. And in the playoffs, when you think about how that playoffs unfolded with Miami getting worn hard by Chicago with LeBron having to guard Derrick Rose and all that. A lot of people think LeBron was tired in the finals and the Mavs getting there with a little bit less pressure. Corey Brewer played a small part in them winning it, even though he never gets any credit. So that's one Corey Brewer. The other Corey Brewer thing is that uh, he was unbelievably assigned point guard duty on Flip Saunders' <laughs> tank, tanking, tanking special. The, the Carl Towns tank that we, we, we ran... Uh, uh, it was like it was like the postlude of the the Mark Madsen eighty uh, second game three point parade. Yeah, the, which... Flip had a bunch of guys who were not injured who he was keeping out for fake injuries, and he decided Corey Brewer was like the line was drawn before Corey, so Corey had to play. And since he had all of his point guards out, Corey was going to play point guard even though he can't dribble. He's known as the drunken dribbler, but Corey was so at the wheel, just out of control. He would like spin around and just like fly into the paint and it was like bizarrely like leading to semi half not terrible offense he wouldn't even he wouldn't be looking at the ball when he would go into that spin move or he he, he actually would be he'd be trying to look at the ball but he wouldn't either even look at like the line of sight that he had before he started the spin move which is what most guys would do he'd like try to turn his head to see what like what was going to happen next and by the time he would do the spin move, like his head was still way behind the ball, and the defender was always stealing it while his like arm is flailing in the air the other way, like the, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that's the brew I remember as, as as like running the point. And so, what does Flip do, of course, but trades away Corey Brewer, trades him to Houston? Was it? It was somebody like that. Was it Houston? Was, no, was New York the first go round or? Uh, I don't think it was New York. He was in after his first Wolves go around. He went to. I could just pull this off. I, I, he, I think it was New York, and then he never played for him. I think they automatically like they released him. I don't have it up either in front uh, of me. Uh, and then he was picked up, I think, by another team, Dallas. Uh, I'm yeah. looking at it. I'm looking at it right now, and it and it was um, it was Houston. So he. That's he, right. Yeah, he went to Houston, but anyway, he. But. Uh, that was another little tanking move by Flip because Corey was too good of a point guard for the team if they were going to get the worst record in the NBA that year when Philly and uh, someone else were trying really hard to get it. Um, so anyway, Corey Brewer, uh, we are at here about 50 minutes, so maybe we'll go about 10 more minutes. Let's talk about um, – we were going to talk about Wolves around the league. We could do that quickly. 
uh, Zach Levine in Chicago. Apparently, he's doing pretty well. I've read somewhere that he thinks he has a higher vertical than he had before his surgery. So he's obviously, even though that's probably not true, or I don't know how you could have a higher vertical than Zach Levine had previously, that he might have some PED testing on the way if that happens. But Or your he, name is Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's good to hear that he's, he's, uh, his recovery is going well. That Bulls team is going to be a dumpster fire. Um, what do you think Zach Levine might look like in 60 seconds or less in a bad situation where now there's no Wiggins and Towns, but just basically just him? Off-ramp to firing Fred Hoiberg. He'll they'll lose they'll lose a lot of games and he'll be um, he'll sell a few tickets he'll be entertaining he'll score a lot of points I don't I don't want to sound too negative on Levine either like he does what he does really well yeah but uh, he's not you know, clearly Chicago is going to be bad um, I think that they don't have much else to do even if they wanted to beyond kind of showcase him and let him show or find out what he can actually do when he's not kind of the third option like he was even on last year's team where he averaged almost 19 points. So yeah. I expect he'll average you know, maybe 20, 20 to 25 points and on a horrible team, and we still won't really know how to value him properly beyond what he does. But I'm glad, I'm glad he's healthy again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he is, I wasn't you – know, you're never sure with a serious injury like that, but he seems like the kind of guy who's um, – you know, who's likely to come back from something like that. He's got, obviously, age and, I think, kind of uh, just, you know, kind of physical fatigue on his side at this point, as well as a good work ethic and all the training and everything that a guy, you know, could, could want. So I guess it's not a shock that he's he's back, but I think that um, he's being really set up to, to be in a tumultuous situation in Chicago where he's sort of in the same one he is now, except he's, you know, a year older and... Might be question marks or not about what kind of contract he got to get. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Fred Hoiberg can, um, in, in a new situation like this where they're in a clear rebuild and they have a clear central guy to the rebuild, which would be Levine, and to a way lesser extent Lowry Markinen. Um, if if Hoiberg has some sort of magic that hasn't materialized yet, maybe it'll come out in how he develops Levine, but we'll see. Um, how about Ricky Rubio in Utah? This one's going to have Wolves fans' attention all year because Utah is not a bad team. They might not be a good team, but they still have uh, their, their, the core strength of their team, which is their defensive-focused um, front court of Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. Uh, and they have half-decent wing players like Joe Ingles and, uh, and Rodney Hood and stuff, so some of the question marks of that team hinge on Rubio a little bit. I mean, I would like, is there one type of issue or uh, thing that you're thinking about as far as how, how that'll work? Yeah. Uh, well, just the first, first thing is just an observation uh, or a question, which is why Utah gets uh, the like hyper cool Rubio. And we kept getting the, the guy who kept coming back each off season, like with the new bull cut. Or uh, or something. And, yeah, he's he's all tatted up and got like long hair. And yeah, he's he looks like he's uh, he's all he's all like shredded up. Like you know, if, if he felt like so, someone had to take Gordon Hayward's 
like like muscle body like body mass muscle whatever well, he has like ratio, the samurai hair like he has like the samurai haircut with all the tattoos too that's yeah uh, so he's looking fly like he looks like he's ready to go out and and destroy it in utah is this which, a heel yeah. turn is this a heel turn i like um like what it looks like he's getting ready to try to do in utah and it seems like he's really happy there with quinn snyder right we saw the quotes about quinn snyder you know which are uh which are passive aggressive full-on sort of style this is i think of the the co- you know, coaching carousel that he had here and some of the differences that he had with coaches in minnesota you talk more about that than i have and if you want to i'll leave it for you but uh so ricky in utah yeah, I think he's got a lot of the same issues as he did here. Like, I mean, look at the guys around him. They don't have like, much of a three-point shooting team without Gordon Hayward. Ricky's going to have to make some of them. I have, I'm, I seem to be more skeptical than the average uh, kind of analyst of people who are celebrating Rodney Hood as a like almost sure thing is this year's like, one of this year's like, main breakout players. And I'm not as sure as, as the rest that he's really that good. I guess you know, maybe I'll be wrong. Interested to hear what you think about that. But I don't see – I mean, Joe Ingles should be coming off the bench for a team, but he does a few things well. Like, he and Rubio could have pretty interesting chemistry, I think, but still, like, you're not going to get you know, excited about the Jazz because they have Joe Ingles running pick-and-rolls with Ricky Rubio, pick-and-pops with Ricky, Ricky Rubio. The Gobert thing is, is interesting because – Rubio is really good at uh, developing chemistry with big guys who might not have a lot of other skills but can flip around and go to the hoop, catch alley-oops. Yeah. Uh, Ricky will find him all over the place. That's going to be yeah, – Favors, I mean, we've talked a lot about when you were especially really high on Derek Favors, what Favors and Rubio's chemistry might be like with the Timberwolves years ago. I still don't know what that's going to be. But um, yeah. That's that's my take of, of like uh, of what you know how he'll fit in there, and I think you know he'll, he's he's a good player. Like he'll be fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, they you know the Jazz I think are a little overrated, is what I think of them right now. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I I I think the favors Gobert front court is hard to play in today's NBA, and that's kind of alarming for the Timberwolves to think about because it's the same issue that Taj Gibson and a non-shooting center could have. But um, we'll see what happens. I think if they could move favors for a a stretch four or somehow get that team a little modernized offensively, I I do think kind of the the place in the NBA where Ricky Rubio's value could be most appreciated is a team that is high on defensive ability, low on offensive ability, playmaking ability to a point where he can kind of just shoulder the offensive passing burden to a medium level offensive quality. And then the team's D is so good that they win. You know what I mean? Yeah. makes sense? Like some, something like a better version of, of what Miami has right now, where that's what Gordon Dragic does better than yeah. Rubio probably would at least as, as a shooter. But yeah, uh, I mean, Gordon Dragic, you know, I mean, like, who do you, do you want Deion Waiters initiating the offense? I mean, it's yeah. it's like, um, you know, it's it's a lot of Dragic, um, Whiteside, yeah. and then Waiters sort of, like, off, you know, like, three-man games, it seems mm-hmm. like, and that's necessarily initiated by a point guard yeah. who can do all the things Rubio can. But, like, Ricky's, Ricky's thing is that, like, you're going to get 
a decent shot all the time with the asterisk unless there's two minutes to go in a close game against a good defense. But he's he, he's a steady supply of decent shot attempts. And it's not the same as having LeBron James initiate your offense, but it's better than, you know, most NBA point guards. So if you've got a team of guys that are just defensive-minded and on offense, they're more inclined to just stand around and let someone else create the shot. That's where Ricky's value is, as his rookie year showed, when the Wolves had kind of a bunch of bums, as LeBron James might call them on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but they had a bunch of bums who Adelman got, like, chess pieces set in the appropriate place. And it was up to Ricky to just wheel around screens and just fire passes and guys would have an open jump shot. It's like, all right, well, you're an NBA player. You can make, you know, 35 or yeah. 40% of those shots. So if, if yeah, you can get it. I mean, like the, that's a perennial strength of, of Spurs guards and shooters. I mean, and uh, yeah. the Spurs, I mean, like Tony Parker always had the really nice floater, but never, never looked comfortable, like, as a true shooter, like, new shooter three-point threat, but, um, but I mean, like, Ricky Rubio could have sliced and diced, and that is a started, you know, starting point yeah. guard or a backup point guard, depending on whatever would make sense. I think, that, you know, there, now there are other teams, too. Like, lots of guards would be really good in, obviously, in Golden State, um, for example. I mean, that's... Yeah. But, I mean, not to demean the you know, value of any of those guys, but, um, but yeah, no, I think that uh, the Rubio's, it's interesting that he can still be such a... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's just locally either. Now, like we're seeing in Utah in the preseason, sort of what we used to see a lot of here, where you know, we almost became like kind of a yokel uh, you know, NBA fan experience, where we kind of celebrate Rubio a little bit, be excited about what we'd see from Rubio. The Jazz fans are doing the same thing right now. They're kind of like surprised and happy with what they have, thinking, oh, we might be, I think they're a little bit more optimistic about what they're going to get than they yeah. should be. And that's like a fun thing. Like, Ricky, that's why Ricky made the Wolves tolerable a lot of the time when, you know, they might not otherwise have that. All right, we're back here from a short break, um, and we don't have a whole lot left. The last closing topic to address is Andrew Wiggins and his contract situation. Um, he is not – he has not yet signed the reported maximum extension that – uh, Glenn Taylor has apparently offered him, um, according to Jace Frederick of the Pioneer Press, tweeted earlier today, Wiggins on his contract situation, quote, I'm still taking it day by day, end quote. I don't know what that means. Um, Wiggins, unless the reporting is off, has been offered this, so he has the op <laughs> offer. There wouldn't be anything to think about. It's a max offer. It can only get worse from that, uh, unless for some reason he's having reservations about staying here. I, I don't know what would be... Uh, I, I don't know what good reason there could be, good meaning like good for the Timberwolves, or good for him, but particularly for the Timberwolves, what good reason there could be that he would be hesitant here. The league just doesn't allow uh, flexibility on, on issues of a max contract. There's only things that could be either illegal or suggestive that he is 
not sure he wants to be here. Otherwise, why not get that guaranteed $148 million inked in before you get hurt? Because if he tears his ACL or something in the next two days, that t- that offer isn't going to be there anymore. <laughs> do we do we know whether he had the the conversation that that was going to be a prerequisite? Yeah, so he, had like, he had that. He this, said he's had multiple with Glenn. Do, yeah, so, he, so he, they, 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 they it was, was was it the sit down that that was was going to be? That's the, the only prereq. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, I mean, so do we? As Glenn said, so I, you know, I don't see every every single moment to moment thing. So uh, the question is, is you know, just uh, like in this whole weird thing, because it is like here we have to try to try to develop ideas about what might be going on irrationally in a, what seems like a really open and shut case here. Of like he should have just signed this damn contract a while ago, mm-hmm. and so. I wonder if it isn't actually on the table as much as it's been reported to. I mean, that, I, I, you know, I doubt it. That's a conspiracy theory. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, when I asked whether he had had the conversation, I was wondering whether maybe Glenn was still uh, uncertain about the contract after the conversation. I mean, he said, like, look, the con- you know, I want to offer him this deal, but I want to talk to him first. I wonder if he didn't like what he heard in the con- you know, that conversation and whether they're still working on it from both sides. I don't because think right so. There, so. Some people are saying, you know, Wiggins isn't worth the max from the, uh, you know, including international you know, sites like the you know, 538 stuff that we have lots of counter arguments against that I think are, are correct. Or, you know, sort of better assessments of Andrew Wiggins. So that strikes me as something to at least, like, ponder. I don't know. I mean, the people who have access to sources that I don't, and maybe you don't, but um, or people around the team, do uh, like you know they can you know, hopefully find out more about where this just like you know like who's the you know, who's court the ball is actually in here. Uh, I think, and if it's, I think and it's, it's 100% it. Wiggins, then I wonder you know what's yeah. uh, does he have some some way to think that he can get a better deal than the one that's that's reported? Like, are there other little sweeteners that you know beyond so like the headline is always like right, 153 million dollars over five years as yeah. the next extension. And, but are, are, there, yeah. are there other things that are negotiable? I don't know. I don't uh, think Yeah, he obviously much. broke, broke ranks with his, his agent, so there's the question of, like, is he in the you know, process of signing with another agent? you think that that could get done quickly. But yeah. there's now a lot of tumult with agents as well, right? I mean, like with Andy Miller's clients going crazy because of the corruption scandal. With the Timberwolves' history of giving Joe Smith secret contracts and stuff, you, you hope that this isn't a scenario that's Sort of like the blue chip scene where, where Nick Nolte is at the farm in Indiana, and and the like Larry Bird guy from French Lick, uh, is basically telling him like, you know, my dad could really use a new tractor over there, like, and then he's yeah. like, oh fuck, I gotta buy this kid a tractor, and uh, oh, yeah, apparently that can get you into maybe. Kentucky or Kansas, but the <laughs> question is whether it can get you more than a max NBA year. Right, like like Wiggins, like Wiggins and and his father may have had some some very uh, fruitful negotiations uh, above the um, formal limitations with Bill Self in Kansas, but uh, the hope here is that he, he doesn't go there with Glenn because Glenn might not be able to resist uh, those <laughs> overtures. <laughs> Or, or or Glenn might resist, and they might be at a loggerhead. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so so we just got to do it straight up. Like everyone realized, Glenn can afford to pay him 153 million. 
Andrew Wiggins, you are lucky to be getting 153 million, yeah. and uh, and you can pay yourself and everyone you need to whatever they want. Right. So let's let's get this one done and uh, and keep the dream alive. We finally got a good team. Yeah. So here, here's hoping that's how it plays out. Um, but we'll, we can only wait and see. I mean, they. Uh, I, just, I don't have the info in front of me as far as the exact date goes, but generally it's more or less it's like two days before the season opener or something that that deadline hits. I know it was on Halloween a couple of years ago when Ricky Rubio's hit, so that that day sort of rings true. And now that the season starts earlier, I'm sure that deadline comes sooner. It's probably it's probably like mid October, October fifteenth or something like that 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 deadline comes. So. We'll, we'll have to see, yeah. I guess. But. I, I mean, it's, it's a different situation totally, but, uh, I mean, it's one, one thing that I'm interested in watching with Shabazz is whether you see, I mean, like, it would be hard for him to, I think, play much harder than he has in the past. He's yeah. got this incredible motor, and he's, a, he's like, the energy guy. Um, but the loss that he suffered, you know, doing the, the free agency this, this year was just huge by not taking the Wolves' initial offer. Yeah. And here he is back playing for a minimum of, it's just like, what, one, go 1.2 mil or something like that. So, yeah. yeah, he says he's just glad to be back, and I think he's glad to have a job after the pretty, you know, the uncertainty that he had this offseason as things mm-hmm. went amiss. But that, I mean, talk about, uh, yeah, again, not necessarily, like, fully applicable to, to Wiggins, like, just in this situation. But when I talk, you know, think about Wolf's contract yeah. weirdness right now, it's like, look at what happened to Shabazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just, uh, just, those, just, just get that deal done. There's definitely risk. I mean, you see it both ways. Sometimes guys take a deal that later proves to be bad. I mean, Steph Curry was yeah. one. I mean, Steph, um, he he gave the Warriors a, a, a bit of a discount because of his ankle problems, and then he became the best player, you know, top three player in the league for – uh, almost as soon as that contract ink was dry. So it, it, you can sell yourself short too. But Wiggins, the, the Wiggins thing is so simple because it's like, you know, all they can offer is all they can offer. They've done it. It's up yeah. to him to decide if he, you know, wants to have a maximum NBA contract or if he'd rather not because. It doesn't seem like we get any sense that, that there's any problem between, at least I've not got any, had any indication from any anywhere that he's, Unhappy and is looking to go go someplace else. I mean, people, I yeah, whatever. So. A, pl- a player, a player could genuinely be curious, and I mean, I suspect he's he's a little bit aloof. He's and yeah, he's focused. He's trying to get this training camp over with. They're going to China. Yeah, he might just kind of want to, you know, especially between agents and stuff with that drama, want to sort things out. But, um, but <clears throat> you know, it's 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 in a you know, kind of a precarious. They continue uh, to, yeah, the the team continues to push Wiggins at the forefront of all of their rebrand, marketing, um, new arena, new uniforms. Like his face is everywhere. Yeah. Like, I, he, those I mean, things he, actually he matter. Be. Like they that, that on some level that stuff matters because it reflects the background noise of you know yeah. something yeah. maybe going to change because. You know, it, it's it's not the most meaningful thing, but it, it tells you something if a, if a guy's being featured. And it's fully consistent with what obviously was was told directly to like you know from the team or from Glenn Taylor maybe directly to the press, which was that you know, we're going to you know, make this offer of a maximum contract extension to Andrew Wiggins. Like that was 
you know, was, there hadn't been much written in like the the, the big daily papers, the Star Tribune and uh, the Pioneer Press, and then you see these headlines like Wiggins con you know, contract being discussed, Max offer on table, you know, stuff like that, and so uh, you know, it seemed like the Wolves' offer was so. Um, you know, there's a kind of signal of their commitment is, has been pretty strong, and I don't see why there would be concern from his side. He seems to like it here fine. Right. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't noticed any real friction with Tibbs or anything like that. So Yeah. And Tibbs, always, Tibbs, like, Tibbs, about Wiggins' thing, he's like, you know, we're, we're working on it. We're hoping to get it done. And he's like, it's all positive. Like, it's all positive. Well, like, I... Okay. I mean, I, again, I don't know why it just hasn't been signed, but it it doesn't it doesn't sound as if there's going to be anything that it doesn't get signed. It's just it's odd that it's not already signed. It could have to do with Bill Duffy interference, you know, like asserting some kind of lien on his um, if he has a lien on his commission, you know, whatever that is. If it's four yeah. percent or something, I don't know. I don't know what the standard percentage is, but I'm sure Bill Duffy's entitled to millions of dollars. For uh, I think that was the case, and I think the Woj article that basically broke the story actually looked into that. And mm -hmm. there, so there was at the, like when that broke, and like I think it was around what 22nd of August. Mm -hmm. I think he said something like, "Yeah, there is a short-term thing here," but I think that would have he should it should have been like long clear from owing Bill Duffy anything. I think by now. Yeah, I have, have to double check that, but I, so I wonder why he's not just hiring someone again right to just do the the deal presuming that he's going to use an agent like everyone else does i mean I, mm -hmm. as, as simple as it would be i don't think wiggins going to like walk into the glenn taylor's office and sign the contract with that someone they're representing them. right and if uh if there is a new agent that's going to materialize one could envision a scenario where i don't know you could you could get sort of a Scandalous thoughts about, like, like just very, very short hypothetical. Let's say Wiggins has a friend who's going to be his agent, kind of like some of LeBron's buddies are have gotten into management or, um, <clears throat> you know, player management. Say, hey, you know, high school buddy, why don't you become my agent? And then you'd be entitled to this fee, and then you can negotiate it with Duffy. And if you get anything back, then I get some of it back. You know what I mean? Something like that, where. If you can get it into an agent-agent battle, that's better than Wiggins versus one agent because then right. Duffy Duffy has a stronger card to play if it's just simply Wiggins fired me and then took the deal. But if yeah. Wiggins has a new agent to get involved and then Wiggins can kind of back back deal with his buddy who's his new agent, you, you know, you're getting you're we're reading some uh, some sort of fraudulent or scandalous intent into this, but I'm just trying to figure out what the Duffy factor could be, and that would be sort of the broad outline of something yeah, I could envision. I mean, the whole, I mean, just the thing has been, uh, like, unusual, uh, strange, you know, and, and sort of opaque in terms of, this, you know, what we've actually been able to to glean about the whole thing beyond whatever, you know, everyone's sort of saying the right things, but mm -hmm. nothing's getting done on something that is, again, is, is simple. So it's uh, Sam preseason. We haven't had a game yet, and it's uh, yeah, uh, tabloid central here yeah. for, for you know, a ripe time for speculation. But anyway, like I, I'm, I'm maybe you know, maybe they're looking forward as well to seeing what this uh, what it looks like and you know, what Wiggins' role is once they actually start playing games, even if the preseason.
Yeah. Since they're obviously not signing before tonight, uh, as far as we know. Yeah. Well, you you do never know because I remember uh, I, I was like getting ready to go to like some dumb Halloween party, probably like a few beers deep when I looked at my phone and saw that Ricky's extension was reached at one of the last hours. So that news could come at any time. Um, it won't be contingent or dependent on the team's schedule. It'll be a agent thing. So might happen today. You never know, but the team does play tonight at nine o'clock central time. Uh, we believe the game is going to be viewable on FSN plus for Minnesota people, NBA TV for the national audience. Um, and I don't know. Is that about it for now? I think that's it for now. Go Wolves. Yeah, sounds good. Go, go Timberwolves, and we'll do this again soon.